Johnson is three-point territory, but guarded tightly. Johnson cuts left, now fires a three, and it's good! And he's fouled! A four-point play by Larry Johnson! Welcome to the Four-Point Play Podcast, the place on the web where we discuss our anxiety level due to Game 7. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I survived Game 7s. I survived uh, an ugly game seven, which saw Denver win, and I survived an amazing game seven, which saw OKC lose, uh, unfortunately for them. Uh, But I think it was, uh, yeah, very good games. (laughs) Well, I I, I disagree with you because I don't think OKC Houston was an amazing game. It was a really good game, not amazing, but... The anxiety that those two or three plays with one minute left gave me, I don't think I ever felt it. I have felt <laughs> something like that because that was, that was crazy. Like they, they were playing like it was preseason or they were defending like it's game seven of the NBA finals. And, and you know, it took me back to the day before where, you know, the Denver Nuggets were about to blow. I didn't even know how to say because they're, you know, obviously the Jazz blew a 3-1 lead. But then the Denver Nuggets were going to blow a potential four-point lead in a game seven with four seconds left. And then, and then the rim, you know, the, the shot by Mike Conley just rimmed out. Tell me your emotions for those two games. Well, so I think the, like, the anxiety levels is what made OKC Houston so great. And just, just the, I think the, yeah, the, the, the quality of the game may not have been you know, the best, but it wasn't that bad. And we had some big shots and we had some big defensive plays. Um, mm-hmm. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I mean, yeah, um, wh- where to start? Uh, I'm not sure who would have thought actually, you know, when uh, you, so you and I both watched the games after, like later on when we have time, basically, um, but not live. And so you watched the OKC Houston game after me and, as I was, um, as you were about to start watching, I was just going to say, hey, you know, like, like making a joke about like a fake spoiler and saying, Luke Dort is going to be MVP of the game. And you would have just laughed, you know, but it turns yeah. out he was probably the MVP of the game up until the That's last crazy, play, man. certainly. But best scorer in the game, 30 points. The guy shot seven for 38, I think, prior to in the series, prior to... Mm-hmm. Game seven, and it was six for eleven or six for twelve in in game seven, like the biggest game of his career that he's played so far. And I mean, where where do you get that? Um, six players fell in the last like in in twelve seconds to try and scramble for the ball. You had turnover after turnover when Steven Adams, uh, you know, dived and saved the ball, and then Eric Gordon got it, and then Eric Gordon lost it. I mean, yeah, anxiety levels, as you said, were pretty high but i think that's what made the game so so great in a way like there were so many things happening you're like wait wait this is going too fast i can't i can't follow Um, yeah exactly i I stopped the game because you know after (laughs) those two or three plays i had to stop the game and just you know collect my thoughts and i was just watching a game that had been played for me actually what 36 hours earlier Um, that was insane. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about we, to get into you know a deep conversation about the refs because we don't want to talk about the refs. But that was. Oh, well, to me, we I've never seen anything Scott. like that. Never seen anything like that. It was one hundred percent clear that 
Scott Foster wanted the Rockets to lose. Or he wanted to be like the main character of the game. And I just read that Chris Paul said that Scott Foster before the game told him, oh, you know, I refed your game seven, I think in 2008 against the Spurs and you lost. I mean, first of all, why do you say something like that wow. to the president wow. of, the, of the MBPA? And secondly, man, that guy. But let's not talk about the refs because he's a... Uh, I, I, I don't know how he could have... We know there's a history between him and Houston. And I don't know how he could have even been allowed to ref a game seven for Houston, for the Rockets again. I mean, uh, even a game in this series. Uh, I think the Rockets should look into seriously, you know, Speaking I don't know. Like put, yeah, raising a complaint, a formal complaint about Scott Foster, because I think you... How... how where, where was James Harden a foul like wh- where did he make a foul on, on that play you know like uh, you know that foul and also you know when when Steven Adams got the rebound and clearly controlled the ball so he threw the ball to unfortunately to for you for the okay for OKC to their defensive half and the refs just said okay there's 14 left uh 14 seconds yeah, yeah, left yeah. and D'Antoni was like are you kidding me so thankfully D'Antoni was there but Man, that's so bad. But anyway, you know, let's let's start from let's start from one of the probably biggest upset, and that's not the box because that's not an upset. <laughs> as I read that seven of the fifteen ESPN analysts actually said that the Miami were gonna beat the box. But let's talk about the Houston Rockets. Do you see them going to the Western Conference Finals, or? What's happening? Like, are the Lakers, do they just want to lose game one every single time and <laughs> win the following four? What's happening? <laughs> you watch the um, whole game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, I watched so the whole you, game. You know more than I do because I watched the condensed. Well, the condensed was pro- probably telling the... Shame the, on you, Alberto. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> the whole story where... Uh, you know, the, the, the Lakers never really felt like they were in the game and uh, at least not completely. Um, and the Rockets were just fresh off the, you know, a really high emotional roller coaster of, of game seven and clearly came out prepared to play, hitting big shots and uh, just, yeah, play, playing fast and, and making the, the plays that they needed to, to win the game. I'm waiting for a response from the Lakers in game two. And I think this will tell us much more about who is going to come out of this series. I think basically you had one team ready to play in that game one, which was the Rockets, and one team which was not ready to play. And despite the fact that the Lakers were not ready to play, they were not that far off from, I guess they were quite close for most of the game. They yeah blew a tire in the fourth quarter uh, for some reason. They just let them go on a run. It was the first game back from Rondo, who actually played quite well. Um, but it's playoffs, the... guys. Like, it's about it. Like everyone's saying, oh, the Lakers, you know, they need time to, to get, I don't know, to get the team to jelly very well. But my question to you, because obviously I haven't watched the full game. I didn't have time. Anthony Davis, how did he play? I've, I've seen the stats, 25 and 14, but how did he play? Because I've seen a few he... dunks and a few really good plays by LeBron. Uh... But he did not him- impose himself in the paint. So he kept, like, he had quite a few mid-range shots uh, being forced by um, 
you know, Tucker and, and Harden. So he did not bully his way into the paint. He, did, he was not a dominant force inside. They actually ran a couple of good plays to start the game with McGee and Davis, and they were, they were you know, imposing their will inside. But as the game went on, basically Davis dropped back and, and had quite a few mid-range jumpers. And for once, Mark Jackson, who was the commentator on that game, um, said a good thing and a true thing. So he sometimes can, can say good stuff, which was that basically, even if he made these shots and you can see that he scored 25 points and he had, you know, quite efficient. He said, basically, Houston is winning. If they, yeah. if Anthony Davis takes mid-range shots, um, even if he makes Those them, are the shots he, Houston want him to... Exactly. Those are the yeah. shots that Houston wants, wants him to take. So, very happy with that from a Rockets perspective and he paid off at the end. They, they won. Um, LeBron basically said that uh, the Lakers were not ready to play at Houston speed in that first game. And you're right. It's the playoffs. It's like, well, you've been watching them for the last, you know, six days because you haven't, you, you had no games to play and you had game four, game five, game six, game seven for, for them against OKC to, to look at and analyze and get yourself ready. So you sh- I understand what you're saying. It's all well and good, but like, you can't. You shouldn't be allowing that in in a playoff game, you know. So do you stick by your prediction? I stick by my prediction. Yes, yeah, so far, which is four two Lakers. As I said, I think we have. For me, I have to wait and see game two, see how the Lakers respond, uh, before we say it's it's a crisis. <laughs> okay, and let me ask you the last question about uh, this game one. Do you think? Austin Rivers can be the X factor for the Rockets. So interestingly enough, I actually, I, he didn't play that. I, f- I found that he didn't play that much uh, in this game. And I thought that he could have played much, much more because he was, when he was on the court, he was doing good things. Um, I don't know what his minutes total was, but uh, it didn't seem very high. 16. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he can play more. Um, can he be the X factor? Yeah. As much as, you know, Daniel House can be, Covington can be, uh, PJ Tucker. All these guys play on the playing on the perimeter uh, can be. We had a much better Russell Westbrook. Uh, I mean, he still had a couple, quite a few stupid turnovers, but uh, he was overall much better uh, attacking the paint, being aggressive, leaving James Harden the ball most of the time, and you know doing his damage when Harden creates space, um, mm-hmm. which is what you want to see. Uh, and as I said, I think to was it to you that I said that? I think so. As to someone, um, he he just needed to get his legs back. Like he he hadn't played in a little while, and he clearly, I think, okay, Houston got lucky that they were able to beat OKC because it could have been really a coin flip. Um, I think on mm. on during Game Seven. Okay, great. Um, let's stay in the West. Well, I mean, let's stay in Orlando, <laughs> but let's talk about the Western Conference. And I do have two questions about the Clippers-Nuggets uh, series. First of all, do you see the Nuggets even winning one game and which one? Secondly, who's going to stop the Clippers overall? Mm, mm, mm. Uh, same thought on the Clippers. They, the more they play, the more they impress me. Uh, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but if it wasn't for Luka Doncic, it wasn't for Luka Doncic, you know, I think I will be so much more hype about the Clippers. Uh, you know, if they play, for example, like, I don't know, like the Utah Jazz. or the... Yeah, exactly. They would have smashed them. 
it's insane. Like, it feels like Paris Saint-Germain, you know? Like, um, Pat Beverly gets benched and Reggie Jackson's, you know, Marcus Moore is out and John Michael Green is in. Uh, they even have Noah as their 15th player. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's, and, and Kawhi, Kawhi is beauty. Kawhi is not beautiful. Kawhi is beauty. NBA <laughs> at its best. Sublime. So aside from Paul George, what's going to stop them from winning the, the NBA title? Look, at the beginning of the year, uh, there were concerns about injury, uh, which could be a factor for them. I think, I think at this stage oh right now... Oh my gosh, sorry, dude. I just, had a, I just had a flashback to last year when I asked you the same question about the Warriors, and you said injuries. <laughs> and bang! Wow. Well, I mean, I, I never wish anyone to, to be injured, so let's hope this doesn't happen. But uh, we said that this was a risk for them, and Kawhi has not looked injured at all, but let's see what he does when the stakes are higher and when they have played more games. But right now, you're right. I think they're the best team in the West, um, possibly the best team overall, but certainly the, the most impressive team in the West right now. And I okay. think, the, I think the, uh, the series against the Mavs was very competitive, uh, even if they, they won 4-2. And it prepared them much much more than say the lakers against portland uh, mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. even houston or casey which were pretty even uh evenly matched or, or the the jazz and the nuggets so i think the clippers are mentally uh ready and yeah from a talent perspective i mean they're really strong and Kawhi, yeah you're right he's a beauty just another quick question do you think the rim actually led Mike Malone to coach for one or two more years in Denver? Or do you, or do you think the Nuggets fire Mike Malone if they lose to the Jazz? Uh, oh, if they would have lost to the Jazz? Yeah. I don't know. I think it was a pretty, like, it was a very competitive series. I think it seems to me that the ownership trust the coach uh, and trust Malone uh, with what they're doing. Denver is all over the place every year. I mean, they, they, were, they were done 3-1. Like, and it's not like the Warriors where you're thinking, oh, well, that's fine. Like, they'll figure it out. They'll come back. Oh, the Cavs. Um, I don't know. Like, it felt like, okay, that's it. You know, you can just rub the nuggets and, and they, they can go home and... But the next year, they might be, you know, they could go all the way to the, to the conference finals. I think they have, they, maybe they have found something against Utah with, with Murray. Uh, and hopefully, if, he's, if he remains consistent, they, with him and Jokic, they can be this one-two punch that everyone was waiting for and looking for. Michael Porter Jr. will be better. Um, I don't think the coach is really the issue. I think with the cast that they've had, he's actually done a really good job at making them better than what they would okay. be possibly coached by someone else. They, I mean, that's the only thing I, West. yeah, true. And that's the only thing I look forward to watch in the, in that series, you know, can Jamal Murray and Jokic cause some problems yep. to the Clippers? Cause no way they're going to win the whole series. They're going to win. No way they're going to get through, but, can they cause some real problems at that level? Yeah, you know, we're yeah. not talking about the Jazz. We're not talking about the Spurs or the Blazers last year, and they actually lost to the Blazers. 
we're talking about the Clippers level. Can they take it up a notch, like another level, and and potentially say next year we do have the experience, we've beaten this guy twice, we lost four times, you know, like you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you said four one. Did you say four one? Did I say four one? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you said the Clippers impressed you. So who impressed you the most in the East, Miami <laughs> or Boston? Oh wow! I, I also realize. I also realize it's you know sometimes series and the how do you say the pace of a series and the it really depends on small details, right? Uh, if Anunoby doesn't hit that shot and even Mario was like screaming like crazy, three zero. <laughs> We have three oh, yeah, and absolutely. We start talking about Miami, Boston, and how Boston is strong and they're going to win it, and how Taco Fall helped Boston <laughs> go to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, for example, in game one, I felt like Milwaukee could have won easily, easily. And in game three, I think there's um. Sorry, I'm not letting you answer. The no, 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 you now. go. Continue. But I think there's a mental issue with the box. And like I. What's up to you? If the Bucks can somehow win a very tough game four, then we're in for a good series. It's crazy, but if, if, it's, a, if it's a tough, if they go down to the last minute and they finally win, because it looks like Miami is mentally dominating the Bucks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. obviously, Giannis is not playing great, but do, do you want to talk about Miami's defense? <laughs> in game two, that was unbelievable um but yeah what, sorry what's, who's surprised what's what's impressed what me the question most so should far? I... yeah <laughs> what's impressed me the most so far about miami is that they won game two with jimmy butler not being you know he was okay but nothing fantastic and if they can win convincingly games like if they can win games like that um without Jimmy being super great, they have a really strong chance of going all the way now remember what i told you what was it? Well, before the bubble started, so at least two months ago or something. Remember what I said about Jimmy? Do you remember what I said about Jimmy? I no. said, look, I think some guys, like I think the, I said the bubble is going to uh, affect negatively some guys who are just not going to be good at playing yeah, 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 I remember that. at the crowd. And some others are just going to be destroying everyone. And I gave the example of Jimmy Butler. It's like he's in the gym. He doesn't care about, you know, the outside noise. I think he has the potential to be really great in the in the bubble. And he turns out so far he's family to be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said this because is a him, this is a business trip for me. Exactly. And I think for him, like he really sees it that way. He's like, hey, I'm not here to like kid around. Like this is, you know, like it feels like it's life and death for him. So, and you don't have a lot of players who feel like that about a game. So this has the potential to push you and make the difference when you don't have home crowds or away crowds actually impacting you during the game, you know, or like motivating others. Yanis doesn't have the Milwaukee chance. Like, I don't think the Milwaukee go down 2-0 if they play their first two games at home. I, I don't really see that happening. But in the bubble... It's, you know, everyone's the same and it's the mental toughness of players which make the difference. And in that category, I'm definitely going with guys like Jimmy Butler um, to, to, you know, yeah, beat so Milwaukee, Boston or Miami. for example. Tough call because 
Ah, I don't know. I've I've started to think about it. Give me another. I I still have a bit of time to okay. uh, me, to make my pick. So. Yeah, <laughs> think your take your time. But that you know, when I watched the last minute and Kemba had the ball in his hands, I'm like, what the hell is he? And then he comes <laughs> up with one of the most beautiful of the last ten seconds of game three of. <laughs> you serious? That was unbelievable. What a pass! Like I know, look pass to Daniel Thais. Beautiful, dude. Beautiful. Yeah, we could have had a pass like this to Stephen Adams if he would have rolled to the basket instead of coming out to the three-point line. Yeah, but you know what? You know play. what? <laughs> Let me say something. Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan's time out of the timeouts really bad. Always been with yeah, Kevin Durant yeah. with Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Always been one of the worst NBA coaches for that. You you can't throw something like like. You give the ball to the horse, like obviously scores 30 points, but you want the ball in the hands either of Shy or Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. But de- you definitely want the ball in the hand of CP3 for that last shot. Um, and if not, you have to anticipate that with the time left, you have to, you have to draw a play which also allows your big man to roll to the rim if no one is there to actually make, you know, uh, an alley hoop or an easy layup, um, but yeah, look, uh, I, I think Boston. To come back to Boston or Miami, I think right now I would pick Boston because the the superstar, like the the entire cast, the the entire team is just a little bit more talented collectively than the entire Miami team. So I think Miami winning against Milwaukee is, you know, like a great achievement. I think Boston is in to go all the way. And Miami also, you know, they want to go all the way. But I think they would celebrate uh, a win against Milwaukee more than Boston would celebrate a win against Toronto, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah. Um, what happened to Marc Gasol, by the way? I don't know. He got... Everyone said he lost weight. And I look at him and I'm like, he got fat. So I don't know. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> he, got, he got fat, but he's so slow, man. He's very slow. He's not so making like he's making like, he's making okay passes, but he's not the passer that he was. They should play. They should play Ibaka in their starting lineup and Gasol from the bench. But anyway, two questions: Who's winning Game Four, Toronto, Boston? And do you see? Do you agree with me that if that specific scenario happens, Milwaukee can actually make the first and only comeback, full comeback in the history of the NBA playoffs? <laughs> All right, I'll answer that question because it's easier. No, they can't. Right. Uh, yes, I said, you know, crazy things could happen in the bubble, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Not the way right. I saw Milwaukee walk off the floor in game three. They walked off the floor like they had lost the series already. I don't think you can come back. They're not dispersed. They won't be able to put up a fight for the next game like it's, you know. Their lives depend on it. When the Spurs lost Game Seven against the the uh, the Heat, you know, after that Real and three, the the following game, they were actually really close to winning. Like they could have won Our Game Six. Um, yeah, yeah. No, they could have won Game Seven. They could have won Game Seven. You remember Duncan missing yeah, yeah. that layup? Yeah. Sorry. What? Yeah. Exactly. So, so to be mentally strong enough to come back from something which was, you know, like that Real and three, which which is soul destroying is like not a lot of teams can do that. And Milwaukee hasn't proven anything. Uh, to me, uh, fair. 
Next question. Yeah, they're missing a clutch player. It might be Yanis, but he hasn't shown up so far. Next question. What was the question again? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Toronto, Boston, who wins, who wins game, game four? four? Because if Boston wins game four comfortably, then we know it's a great team. But if yeah. they go down 2-2, then I think my consideration of Boston goes down like a little <laughs> bit. Like, okay, they're young players, they're young team, very talented, but they're not there yet. I think Boston wins. All right. Comfortably, I don't know. But Toronto... Toronto won with like luck. They just got lucky. That that Anunobi three is pure luck. Like you, yeah, drawing the play was great, but 0.5 of a second catching the ball coming from the other side of the court and just checking it in. And yeah, I know Anunobi is like very confident. It's like yeah, I knew okay. it was going in, but realistically, like that that was. Like and I think Boston blew that game. Like they, they should have they should have won. I don't see yeah. them repeating that mistake. Um we haven't really seen Tatum so far in this series, I feel like. Like he's been good, but he hasn't been amazing. Um and maybe that's game four is his game. Let's see. So All I right, Boston. Got, you know, I'm I'm sorry because it's a four point play, so we do have four topics, <laughs> but today I'm just this waterfall of questions. So go for it. If it's Boston Miami, who who's on Jason Tatum? Jimmy Butler? Yeah, it's it's gotta be Butler. All right. And where does Giannis go? <laughs> well, I think Miami is making a very strong impression to say, Hey, <laughs> we beat your team. Imagine what you know, uh how great we could be with you on board. So I think Miami is making the strongest play. The same way um the Warriors made a play on uh, Kevin Durant against uh, when he was with OKC. So that's that's my pick where my where Yanis goes. <laughs> okay, so he doesn't go to the Mavs. No, look, it's either that or Milwaukee manages to convince him that they're going to reshuffle the roster to have better pieces around him. So if I don't know, there, there's not many free agents or and good players on the. On the on the market and next year looks weird, um, but if they manage okay. to find someone who is a better fit than not not that Middleton and Lopez etc are not good fit, but they're great regular season team, and the person I would actually look at more closely is Mike Budenholzer because I think he's a great regular season coach, but he's not made for the playoffs. He still hasn't adjusted his matchups against uh, Miami. He still doesn't play Yanis more than that. Like he still rests him for like five minutes or four minutes in the fourth quarter. I mean, like your season is yeah. on the line. Yanis said he could play more. Like, dude, what are you doing? So yeah, mm-hmm. goodbye, Mike Bittenholzer. Um, get another coach. All right, time for your question. Well, this is a very good uh linkage to talk about a coach and a new coach which was hired so it's not the play of discussion um but what did you think about steve nash hiring uh, by the brooklyn nets and some of the comments which have been made to say that oh well there were there were a lot of better uh, coaches than him um, particularly some black coaches and yes i'm gonna bring the the race in that discussion um some comments were made that other better coaches could have been hired as opposed to, to Nash. But what are your thoughts on 
the great Canadian? First of all, I'm not discovering the wheel or reinventing the wheel or anyone else in the basketball world is, is doing that when they say there are much, there are coaches that are much better than Steve Nash. You know what? Right now, 99.99% of, of the NBA coaches are better than Steve Nash because he's never coached. That It's as simple <laughs> as that. Um, it's like Andrea Pirlo, if you know, now he's the Juvent new Juventus manager and he's never coached. Not even, you know, the youth team or anything. He just went from being a, like a TV analyst to being the coach. The thing is the intangible, okay? The intangibles that you learn throughout a 20-year career, the network that you have, which is probably better for a GM career, kind of career, but the plays, the, the playbook. Steve Dash has done an MBA in basketball, first of all. And he's been a playmaker. So you, he knows how to draw the, the plays. Coaching is completely different. And I do love the fact that the Nets said, hey, Jacques Vaud, you've done an excellent job. Mm. You are the assistant coach and the better paid, the most paid assistant coach in the NBA. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, is he going to be a good coach? Is he going to lead the Nets to the Eastern Conference Finals? Who knows, dude? You know, there's, there's no point even making that discussion because we don't know. Um, but the first thing, you know, I was shocked when you told me, like, huh? Are you kidding? <laughs> the reality is this is a player's league. This yeah. is a player's league. And, and Sean Marks and the Nets owner are full of bullshit. You know, when they say, oh, we're looking for, you know, an experienced coach and whatnot. Kevin Durant, I'm sorry, Kevin Durant probably said, Hey, I want that coach. And you know what? Um, Kyrie Irving probably said the same, but you know what? They, they get paid, what, 50 million a year or 60 million a year out of a uh, salary cap. That's probably more than 50% of their salary cap. And, f and if you are those two players and I'm the franchise, the franchise, I say, okay, sure. I, I'm going to listen to these two players. Then if we look back, Derek Fisher, um, Steve Kerr, uh, who knows, dude? Jason it's a Kidd. Players League. Jason Kidd. Doc Rivers as well. You know, he was 38 when he coached the, the Orlando Magic. Who knows? You got to see how that pans out. Last, like Charles Barkley said, <laughs> those people who said this is like a white privilege kind of thing, I'm sick of shit like that. Um, I don't care if I'm white. Doc Rivers, Tyron Lue, Derek Fisher. Happened before. He happened to black people, to, to black coaches, not black people, sorry, to black coaches. It doesn't mean anything. Just the fact that Steve Nash is white, who the fuck cares? Like these racism exaggerations, sorry, not obviously racism is a big topic and I'm all for, yeah. you know, you know who I stand, what I stand for, but like, I'm not even going to read it because I have 24 hours a day and my time is quality, <laughs> at least for me. So I'm not going to read that bullshit. I appreciate the Charles Barkley um, mini speech, like brief speech on, on NBA TV, but that's about it. What do you think? I, I think, yeah, look, I, I agree. I think um, th this was a hiring which was made by Kevin Durant and the relationship that he has developed, I think, with Nash in Golden State. And so if we want to blame something, 
for that. We can blame that players have too much power in the decision that uh, their managers actually make for for their coach. Um, but not not the race uh, in that context. I I think that's uh, that's pretty straightforward. I, I look. I don't have an issue with with Nash uh, as a coach. I think he is a great guy and like glue guy and communicator, uh, which is apparently what they wanted. I think, you know, he has a great personality, which will translate way. Well, I think he reminds me a little bit of Steve Kerr in a way. Um, so I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see him on the sidelines and see how he manages those two superstars. But at the very least, I think KD listens to him i think because he's worked with him and uh in golden state and they were apparently they, they formed a relationship and carrie i mean who knows what we're gonna get with carrie we we never know so uh that that'd be interesting but even talking to the young players you know like um nash will be able i think to relate to carries and joe harris and you know, everyone on the bench, like not necessarily just thinking about, I have two superstars that I need to manage. I'm a bit concerned and I guess that the Nets have completely shifted from what they were two years ago, which was yeah, of course. Uh, an organization which wanted to build a certain culture, stick, stand by it. And because it allowed them to land two superstars, KD and Kyrie, they're now shifting to, well, we're going to be driven by these guys, by, by what these guys say and do and, and how they want to approach the, you know, the, the plays and the league, etc. And I think that's, that's a shame because I would have liked the culture of the organization to be stronger than the individual pieces, even if they can, you know, that's the, that's the reason they came. So don't change it because then that's going to be the reason they leave. Absolutely. And, and you know what? If I think about Steve Kerr, you know, these guys have played basketball for 20 years, at least, mm. college and NBA. And they're just trying this new word called the word outside of the NBA. Steve Kerr was, a, was an analyst first, and then he became the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Do you remember Steve Kerr being the GM of the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, I remember. He sucked. He sucked big time. Yeah. <laughs> he was so bad. And you know what? Then he left that job. And who knows? Maybe Steve Nash is lucky. Maybe Steve Nash is like the Guardiola of, you know, of, uh, of the Brooklyn Nets. Are you uh, referring to Steve Nash? Uh, are you referring to Steve Nash's soccer skills? Because he can play soccer, of course. Yeah, he can play soccer really well. <laughs> but, um, but if there's one category that can be mad, is the assistant coaches. You know, the, those coaches that could actually... Not Jason Kidd, but, you know, this assistant coaches. And just let me ask you one question. What's the name of the Matthew Grizzlies head coach? Uh, ah, why, why, why do you do me like that? Of course I know. Uh, Bika Staff. No. Oh, it's, all right, tell me. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually, I think it's Yankees. I'm going to. Isn't it JB Bika Staff? Yeah, Taylor Yankee. Ah, okay. yeah. yes. It's crazy. Yankees. Like, because I read, I was on Reddit uh, like three or four months ago and everyone was talking about the Memphis Grizzlies doing really well and someone just said without googling it who's the head coach <laughs> of the Memphis Grizzlies and no one, no one could say that and you know they remember um, what's his name again Taylor Yankee because the year before I'm not sure if you remember um, in one of the playoff games with the box he was an assistant with the box 
he was the coach who during a brawl, he just got, and sorry, it wasn't even a brawl. It was just a not very strong discussion between players. He just got in the, in front of the players and the bench players like, Hey, don't, don't get in. Don't get in. <laughs> and everyone remember that because it wasn't like a massive brawl. It was just a, not even a technical, I think. And the thing is these coaching assistants, they are the ones who can have, you know, who I can listen to and say, man, I've been busting my ass off for 10, 15, 20 years. I haven't had that opportunity to coach an NBA team. And I understand that. But, man, I was listening to one of the Italian journalists speaking about Pirlo. And the Italian journalist said, oh, you know, Pirlo coaching Juventus is like my son who went to Bocconi, so one of the top universities in, in the world, and going to go and work for Apple. I was like, no, that's bullshit because your son hasn't worked for 20 years in the behind the scenes like Pirlo like Nash they do have mm. knowledge of the game that's that none of the assistant coaches have yeah the thing is coaching is different yeah and it comes with managing a team managing personalities which I'm sure you know there's a they have a reputation that can actually help with it but you know making plays um in the very last minute managing timeouts it's completely different but I, th- I think you can have great coaches coming from two different environments, whether it's from the, let's say, the coaching yeah, yeah, of course. system and environment and, and all, all the players. Like, yeah, I, I mean, Steve Kerr is a good example of a coach who, for example, knowing the roster that he had, like he was well suited to the roster of the Warriors coaching, basically guys who are really good at basketball who are talented, but also really good, have a really good basketball IQ. I'm going to interrupt you here. Let's be clear. Steve Kerr didn't have, and no one had what Steve Nash is going to have because Kyrie, two rings, two MVPs. Sorry, KD, two rings, two MVPs. Kyrie, amazing player. Steve Kerr, um, yeah, Steve Kerr, he had Clay Thompson, obviously Draymond Green and Steph Curry who were pretty much squeezing Steve Kerr's knowledge of the game because they wanted to learn, they wanted to win. They hadn't won before. Kyrie has not won. No, no, he has won. Sorry. He has won. <laughs> like brain fart. They both won. That's, that's an interesting topic. You know, they both won a it ring. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are they going to be hungry enough to say, oh, let me listen to coach? Like I Steph, mean, Draymond, yeah. and Clay did. I think the Nash and Carey relationship is going to be, to me, is going to be what make or break this uh, this team. Uh, but who know? I'm not sure who can coach Carey and if he's coachable. Like, none yeah. is difficult. But I think that he just he does his own thing, and he's very talented, but also just weird sometimes. Like he, I don't know. I don't know if he's yeah. bipolar or something. But it, it just, yeah. <laughs> One of you the why, I, I greatest mysteries care. of uh, of the NBA career. <laughs> I honestly don't care as long as he keeps on um, doing the good charity things he's done yeah. with his money. So he, that's good. So tonight we have Raptors Celtics and actually at 8.30 a.m. your time tomorrow. And then you can enjoy Nuggets Clippers. So man, I don't have anything else to say aside from I really enjoyed speaking to you. Sorry about last week. It's been crazy for me. <laughs> um, 
you, you're just yeah. like the players in the bubble. You now have your, uh, your partner is allowed to, uh, to visit you. So yeah. that's, a, that's a good reason to take time off. Let's hope the, uh, the players don't do the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that's because we're on game one and game two, but I'm definitely going to watch. Um, I'm definitely going to watch game four in full tomorrow. Because also, <laughs> Marie's waking up at 4 a.m. And so I'll have the opportunity to do that. Jet lag? Right, man? Yeah, she's jet lag. <laughs> cool well thank you right. have a great weekend well, thanks a lot and go NBA go <laughs> <laughs> enjoy now. the games see you back out to Allen history pilot bang tie game with five